This is episode 105 of the Landscape Photography Show, and before we get into today's podcast, I just want to thank patron for the podcast, John Barclay. John and I have been good friends for for a while now, and not only has John been an amazing inspiration for me as a photographer and somebody that I look up to to improve my creative vision as a photographer, but he's also always been there to chat share a laugh, and support the podcast. So I just want to thank John for doing that. If you want to support the podcast and get bonus audio from episodes like this and past episodes too, where we talk more in-depth with the guests that come on the show, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up for a tier of either $5, $10, or $20 a month. With all of those, you get increased benefits as the cost goes up, but you always get that bonus audio that comes with each episode, just like audio from today's podcast with guest Denise Vasquez. It's always nice to get a tip from a listener about somebody that I should have on the podcast. It's not always easy reaching out to photographers and finding photographers to come on the show. There's always that core group of photographers that are comfortable coming on podcasts, but then once you get past those, your goal really, and and my goal specifically, is to find photographers who are inspiring, who are creative, and who put a different spin on things, or who are doing something for a deeper purpose. Denise Vasquez is one of those, and when one listener reached out and said, hey, I think you should have Denise on your podcast, I went to her Instagram and instantly knew that's exactly what I was going to do. Not only is Denise an inspiring photographer, but she's also working really hard on the Disabled Photographer Project. Something that she went through in her own life rendered her disabled, uh, and, and it was inspiring to hear her story. And also, we get into a lot of specifics about how parks and how photographers can think a little bit differently about people who are disabled when they go and visit parks and some new ideas that maybe some of those could have. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Denise Vasquez. Denise is joining us from the dry, dry desert as she's ultra prepared with two glasses of water instead of one. I like when people come <laughs> over prepared rather than under. Uh, I, I told Denise before we jumped in, I'm perpetually underprepared for these conversations, but always fun to meet somebody new and get to talk about what they're passionate about. How are you doing today, Denise? I'm doing amazing. How are you? And thank you, David, for having me on your podcast. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. Um, why don't you get us started and, and just get us all on the same page about you and, and learning who you are and how you photograph. Just what got you started in photography and, and kind of what led you to where you are now? Wow, that's a long story, but um, I am basically an artist who creates because it's a part of my being. It's a part of who I am. Um, I started creating at a very young age. My mom says like when I was like three or four, I was always painting and writing and um, creating. And I've always been a creative person. Um, 
my experiences and, and history goes way back. And if you go to my website, uh, which I'll tell you about later on, you'll learn that I do a lot. Um, so I started, you know, at a young age, uh, writing, um, poems and stories and drawing and painting and acting and doing music and, <laughs> and photography has always been something that I've been passionate about. I feel like with my photography, it kind of brings everything together as far as like, you know, the creativity, the composition with art and, um, how I see the perspective. And, um, to me, it's, it's, it's the ultimate uh, art as far as creating goes. And so um, I started creating uh, through photography when I was a teenager. I think I had, you know, a point and shoot that was film, you know, one of the disposable cameras. I've had the cameras that have a little cube flash that you put on it. I still have my Polaroid camera that I've had for years. Um, I've always used um, Canon cameras and I started actually with a point and shoot when we moved into the digital age. And uh, it's been fun um, learning, you know, digital photography. It's very different than film, but I kind of like that, you know, um, as far as storage goes, you know, you can download everything on a hard drive. You don't have to use chemicals in a dark room. Um, and I started out with a point and shoot with Canon and then I worked my way up to having, um, the 6D Mark II and, um, the 80D, which I love them both. I like DSLRs. I haven't yet, uh, moved up to the mirrorless, uh, cameras, but, um, I've been doing photography for quite a while for myself and for companies. I've worked for a variety of different companies, over the years, photographing people, um, which I love, you know, you have to be very in the moment and very fast when you're photographing people, especially children, because I like capturing uh, colorful moments. And that's why I call my uh, business colorful moments, Denise Vasquez photography, because I like being in the moment. Um, some people like, uh, you know, using Photoshop, but for me, I prefer, you know, capturing real moments and being in the moment because that's how I've lived my life. My, my entire life, I've, I've gone moment to moment and it keeps me happy. And, um, there's something for me about capturing the moment as it's happening, as it happened, and then going back and looking at the photographs and, and being like, wow, that's amazing. You know, um, so, uh, what else? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I feel like I was like going from one topic to another, but, um, as far as photography goes and being in the moment, um, for work, you know, for companies, I've always photographed people and, and have done, you know, events and, um, weddings and, uh, engagements and lifestyle photography for you know, uh, certain products with models and, but my true passion where my heart is, is in landscape photography. I love, you know, getting up at three in the morning to go out and, uh, photograph the Milky Way. And I love waking up at the crack of dawn to photograph the sunrises. And I love, you know, photographing sunsets and, um, I love exploring different areas and learning about different cultures and history through, you know, uh, 
kind of doing uh, location shots for, you know, landscape photography, I've learned so much along the way and I continue to learn. So it's, that's where my true passion is with landscape photography. So I was excited that your podcast is all about landscape photography. It is. And it's interesting, you know, having people on who shoot landscapes and are passionate about them, but also dabble in other kinds of photography. I think I have two questions about that. My my first question, you know, you keep talking about living in the moment, being in the moment. and, And I certainly understand what that feels like. But my question is, how do you put yourself in that situation and in that mindset to be completely in the moment when you're photographing? It's, that's a great question. Um, you know, I love to apply what I call mindfulness to my photography and mindfulness is when you go out, let's say to a location and you are scouting the location. I, I always stop where I am, you know, when I get to the location and I unload my car and I put you know, all my gear in a little wagon and I get to a particular spot and I just stop and I just take a deep breath in and exhale. And I just look around me before I even pull my camera out of the bag. I take in my environment. I take in where I am. I take in the trees and the sky, um, the land. And I feel like by, you know, taking a few breaths and taking in your environment and grounding your feet to the ground. And, you know, sometimes I close my eyes when I do it. It really puts you in the moment when you do that rather than, oh, my God, I got to get here really fast and I'm running late and I got to pull out my camera and I got to set up my tripod. And if I don't, you know, get this shot by this time, you know, that kind of makes me a little crazy, you know, and I've learned. actually by my injury, by getting hurt at work many years ago and ending up with a permanent disability and going through a program to get me back on my feet. I was in a wheelchair for three years and uh, I had to go through intense physical therapy, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually. And um, one of the things that I learned through uh, physical therapy, mental therapy, spiritual therapy, I'll call it, was mindfulness. And so um, I learned how to apply that to my photography so that I can slow down and be in the moment and not, you know, be in a, in a rush and, and really enjoy, you know, what, what I'm doing and where I am. It, it really helps. It really makes a difference. It's interesting you said w- what you just said at the end, really enjoy what you're doing. And between the two parts of what you were saying, you know, rushing to a location and certainly we we've all been there, everybody listening, myself included, (laughs) like you're running late, you you end up behind the light. You actually are chasing the light. Um, and then actually being in a moment, I would, I would definitely be bold enough to say, I would much rather go out and photograph in the middle of the day now than, rush to a sunrise or a sunset. Absolutely. I I totally agree. I mean, I I like going and getting to places early and um, taking my time. And sometimes there are surprises there. Sometimes you might see wildlife. Sometimes you might see, you know, something unexpected. And um, really, it's, it's, to me, it's about having fun. Because 
the thing that I love the most about, you know, being a landscape photographer, or photographer in general, is that it's fun for me. I love it. I love what I do. I don't consider it work, you know. Um, and I'm like you. I like going out any time of day. I'll go out in the middle of the day. I'll go out, you know, early in the morning and um, just with an open mind and an open heart. And and uh, that that as well keeps you in the moment by not having any expectations, but always being prepared, but leaving room for spontaneity. Now, my second question on, on being in the moment is dabbling in other types of photography. Can you compare and contrast for me what it feels like to be in a moment photographing people like you were describing and photographing a landscape and maybe even like what that moment feels like for you? Well, as far as photographing people, I find that when you're completely in the moment, you're leaving room for things to happen. You know, I'm not I'm not big on posing people unless they really need help. You know what I mean? I like to interact with the people and, and you know, learn about them while I'm shooting them and you know, talk to especially with children. You know, I find that when you're talking with the kids and you're making them laugh they're more natural and the photos come out more natural rather than trying to pose somebody. Like sometimes the photos look really awkward to me. You can tell when someone's been posed versus, you know, just interacting with people while you're shooting them and having fun. And to me, I've always found that when I'm interacting with people while I'm shooting them, it becomes an experience for them and for me, for, for all of us, you know, and the, the result of the photos is it's just, there's so much life in, in the outcome of the photos. And, and for me, you know, um, I actually grew a lot by photographing people um, because you have to be so in the moment. And, you know, especially with engagements and with weddings, there's no redoing that shot. You know what I mean? So you have to kind of be ready. You have to, you know, um, communicate with the people that you're shooting. Um, and, the same, you know, as far as like the contrast with, with landscape photography, it's a, it's a similar thing where, you know, the moments are passing constantly changing. And, you know, the more that you're in the moment, instead of trying to run and like you said, chase the light, if you're in the moment and you're, you're open and aware of where you are and what's happening, you're going to capture some amazing photos. In terms of relationship, though, it, do you see a difference between building relationships with the people that you're photographing versus a relationship with the landscape and a location that you're photographing? Um, I approach it kind of the same. I mean, for me, I, you know, when I approach a landscape, I'm connecting with the land, I'm connecting with the environment, I'm connecting with everything around me. And it's, I approach that the same way with people. When I'm photographing people, I try to connect with them in the same vein that I'm connecting with their energy, I'm connecting with their personalities, I'm connecting with, you know, the environment. So I approach it the same. Um, so it doesn't, you know, of course it, it appears when you look at it from the outside, it might look like, oh, there's two different ways to approach it. But for me, cause I shoot people outside, I don't shoot people in the studio. Um, I've always been an outdoors photographer, even for the companies that I worked for. So for me, um, I, I, 
it, I might be a little different than somebody who shoots in the studio, but the way I approach it both ways is kind of the same for me. I don't see it as two different um, approaches. It's just two different situations and two different um, circumstances. But as far as the way that I approach it and the, and the way that I feel about it, it's, it's all about connecting and, and the interconnectedness with everything that um, is around me. How would you describe your style in landscape photography? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> it's a, you know, what I find unique about that question is everybody says that and every, like, even myself included, I never reflected on it until I started asking the question periodically on the podcast to people, especially new people that I had never talked to before. And I asked myself the same question and I had the same reaction. I struggled myself <laughs> to really put it into words. Yeah, it's hard to put into words. But um, for me, you know, I've always been inspired by bright colors and vibrant colors and um, colorful um, skies and colorful waters and colorful things make me happy. And so I started, you know, studying the times of day using the photo pills app when to go out to get, you know, golden hour and when to go out to get, you know, the, the blue hour and when to try to get the pink colors and the, um, you know, uh, just different colors. And so I, I would describe my photography and myself as like an outdoor uh, photographer. And I love, you know, capturing colorful moments and, um, that are real as they're happening, as they occur. Can you though describe, let's, let's take into effect though, the, the, the people that inspire you in photography and that you kind of look up to, and we all have those people that we try to emulate a little bit, if you know what I mean, <laughs> how would you describe their styles? Well, there's a lot of different photographers who inspire me and I don't necessarily try to emulate or copy their styles. I look at them at their work and I try to, um, figure out like what it is about their work that I love. And so, for example, there's a photographer who does a lot of work for National Geographic and her name is Amy Vitali mm. and she does wildlife photography. She did that famous photo of the last rhino before it passed away. And um, I believe she was in Kenya and um, I love her work because it's real. It's authentic. She's capturing moments. She's, you know, not using Photoshop, not that I have anything against Photoshop. It's just, it's, it's not what I do. And I find that most of the photographers that I'm really drawn to are the ones that are, you know, almost like photojournalists. They're, they're capturing, you know, moments in, in history, moments in time. And, um, that's what I'm inspired by, you know, the most, um, who else? Uh, there's another, uh, Milky Way photographer. His name is Jack Fusco. I hope I'm not uh, messing up his last name, but I love, you know, how he studies the Milky Way and how he goes out to different locations and how he he's constantly shooting and constantly um, sharing and constantly growing. And for me, you know, that's that's what I'm inspired by is just growing and learning and and you know, as life is constantly changing, 
you know, trying to capture that to me is, is it's really inspiring, you know, capturing that moment in time that, you know, I might see or, or, I don't know. I just, I don't like to try to copy anybody. There's just so many photographers that are out there that I love and um, for many different reasons. But as far as like, you know, who I try to emulate, I don't think I try to emulate anybody. I just, I just, I see life and the world a certain way. And I try to share how I see the world, you know, because I know I'm different and you're different and we're all different. So for me, I'm trying to share my story through my camera lens, you know? You know, I'm looking through your Instagram actually right now. um, And I love what I see. I love the photographs. Now, the reason that, that I reached out to you to have you on the show is not only because you're a great photographer, but I opened Instagram one day and I had a message from somebody who um, hadn't messaged me in, in quite a long time. And they led me to your page and said, I think this would be a really great voice to have on your podcast, thus reaching out to you to, to have you on. And, and it led me to your disabled photography project. Um, why don't you give us a, a, an overall view of, of what that is and, and how you came to form that? Well, the Disabled Photographer Project came into being because of uh, injury that I had at work over three years ago. And it led me to being in a wheelchair and it, and it led me to being permanently disabled. And while I was trying to, you know, go through everything that I was going through and um, trying to get back on my feet and trying to heal and trying to, you know, um, battle the, the system. I'll just put it that way. Um, I was, you know, I, I was lost in the workers comp system basically for three years. And um, the thing that kept me kind of grounded and sane and happy was doing photography and being in a wheelchair was really challenging. And thank God for my partner. I'm, I'm so fortunate and blessed to have uh, a man. His name's Randy Martinez. He himself is an amazing illustrator. If you don't know who he is, go to randymartinez.art. Um, he's been my boyfriend for 15 years. And he knows that, you know, I'm at my happiest when I'm creating. I'm at my happiest when I'm out, you know, traveling and shooting photography And so he would help me find ways to go to, you know, parks or national parks or anywhere that we could find that was accessible. And in doing so, I, we both discovered that many places that say they're accessible really aren't. And um, it was really frustrating for me at first. And it wasn't until I you know, went through physical therapy and started getting back on my feet and um, talking to some counselors that, you know, this idea came to me about, you know, trying to do something about it, try to bring awareness in a positive light. How can I, you know, um, show people that, you know, these places that they're saying accessible really aren't while helping others, you know, save time and money and show them, you know, disabled people like me that, hey, you know, this place is accessible. And here are the things that are really accessible about this location. 
Um, so that led me to creating, you know, um, the Disabled Photographer Project to share my story, to let other disabled people um, know that they're not alone and that there are places that are accessible if they want to go out and travel or go to parks and, you know, things like the access pass. When I got my access pass for the national parks, a lot of people that were going through physical therapy with me in this amazing program at Institutes of Health, no one knew about the access pass. So I was like, okay, you know what, I'm going to start a blog and I'm going to call it the Disabled Photographer Project. And um, later I started, as I was going to different national parks, I started uh, making videos and creating content and it just took on a life of its own. You know, the How Accessible is Accessible series on YouTube that I started. And um, I do this, you know, project whenever I can, you know, I don't have any funding right now or sponsorships or partnerships yet, you know, but I'm, I don't want to let that stop me from doing this because I feel like it's bigger than me. It's more important than me. And it's my way of, you know, giving back to the universe because I'm on my feet for, you know, short periods of time, but I'm so grateful that I'm able to stand and walk. It is truly a blessing. I will never take walking for granted again. I didn't know if I, I would be able to walk again, and I still have my wheelchair at that, you know, in case I need to use it um, to get around because a wheelchair provides me access when I'm not able to stand for long periods of time, you know, to do grocery shopping or to go on longer trails. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to find a way to share information in a positive light. And I, you know, I've been meeting with some national parks and, you know, they've been so grateful for the project and I'm grateful for them, you know, wanting to sit down with me and to communicate with me and to hear, you know, my thoughts on what I love and what could be improved. And, you know, I didn't create the project to bash anybody or, or to, you know, I created the project to help bring awareness of what is great and, you know, what is accessible and what needs to be improved because there's always room for improvement. And um, I think a lot of the people who were working on the national parks, you know, aren't disabled. And I think the best way to, you know, um, improve the trails and, and restrooms and fountains and, you know, walkways and uh, parking lots is to include disabled people in the conversation because you know there's a big trend right now where everybody's talking about um you know diversity and inclusiveness in the outdoors but not very many people are including disabled people in the conversation so that's another reason why I started the project you know I was like I'll you know I'll be one voice and maybe you know I'll attract other voices and and it's been amazing it's been really amazing if a park or area of a park, maybe like a trail or a complete park, I guess, calls itself accessible, but it's not. What are some of the obstacles that are there that should be removed? Well, the the biggest obstacle I feel like is weather, you know, and with climate change and with everything that's, you know, happening, it it brings real challenges to the parks. And that is something that they cannot control but they do have, you know, um, maintenance people that are, you know, work the grounds that try to clear that, keep the trails clean and, um, you know, try to maintain the trails, but that costs money. So that's another obstacle with the parks is that they need funding, you know, um, 
before all these crazy fires broke out in Sequoia National Park, I um, did a a great interview with um, people that work at the park and it's on my my Disabled Photographer Project YouTube channel where um, I let them talk about one of the newest trails that they had gotten funding for and somebody gave them over a million dollars to, you know, move the trail to a better, you know, location so that it was flatter. But again, it costs a lot of money. So money, weather, um, and I think, you know, um, time and uh, basically communication. Communication is key. Communicating with disabled people, I think, would, you know, um, be a a good start. I think that should be the, the place to start is by communicating with disabled people you know, because my needs are very different from somebody who's blind or someone who's deaf. And I feel like a lot of the national parks have really good ideas and have really amazing technology. We went to Pecos National um, Historical National Park in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and they have this GPS system there that tells, uh, you know, somebody who might be in a wheelchair or somebody who might be blind if they're too close to the edge. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. You know what I mean? And um, the Cabrillo National Monument in San Diego has a talking pen that talks in different languages. If you go to an interactive, um, you know, uh, sign and uh, so every, I noticed that different parks have different technology and it's interesting because even though you might think that it's all a part of the national park system, every park has their own thing going on. So I feel like another big um, obstacle is just getting all the national parks on the same page, but I don't know if that's possible because they're all I feel like they're all funded through different ways. Like some have conservancies that help them raise the money and some have um, national park associations that, you know, Joshua Tree has a national park association um, that does a lot of the fundraising through concerts and through educational classes and workshops. And um, I'm part of the Joshua Tree National Park Association. So I'm learning, you know, all the different things that they're doing to try to raise money to, you know, for the parks. So I'm learning a lot by doing this too, you know. <laughs> what what have you learned about yourself specifically since starting this journey? Oh my goodness. I learned that I am a lot stronger than I thought. You know, it, it's, I, I'm the first person to encourage other people to be strong and, and, you know, to look on the positive side of life. But when I was going through what I was going through, um, you know, I did hit some low points and then I, I just stayed focused on, you know, doing photography and doing things that I love and doing things that keep me happy. And, and it made me realize that, you know, um, the power of the mind is a gift and we all have that power. And sometimes we forget that, you know, what we focus our thoughts on is what we're manifesting all around us, what we're creating. You know, we create our lives by what we focus our thoughts on. So if you're focusing on positive things and, and, and like photography or, you know, this project, you know, by focusing all my thoughts and energy on doing this project in a positive way and, and bringing awareness, you know, it's, it's manifested into something beautiful and something amazing and something, 
you know, bigger than me that I never even thought or could even imagine. Well, on that note, you know, how it's kind of grown into something all of it, all of itself. Um, what does it mean to you? Like what emotion does it elicit from you or reaction when I'm sure you've had messages of people reaching out saying, thank you for what you're doing. Here's my story. I can now appreciate the outdoors because of X something that you did. Yes, absolutely. My cheeks right now hurt from smiling because (laughs) I've had people not only message me and write me and email me, but I've also had, you know, while we were out, um, for example, I'll never forget, we were at Horseshoe Bend and it was a dream come true for me because I've been wanting to go there and they, um, paved, they put down, I wouldn't say a paved road, but it's like compact, um, dirt. So it's pretty solid, but it's a steep hill. So it was like a struggle for me to get down to the viewpoint, but we did it with, you know, my boyfriend was carrying the cart with all my gear. Cause it was kind of pushing me down the hill. I was like, uh, I can't do this. And, um, but while we were shooting a video for the, how accessible is accessible YouTube series at horseshoe bend, Um, I had a crowd of people all around me watching. And when I was done with one of the takes, so many people started coming over to me and thanking me and asking about the project. And people were sharing their stories about, you know, family members and how, you know, they, they can't really travel to many places with family members because it's not accessible and they don't want to, you know, isolate family members. And, you know, people were just sharing different stories and, it just made me realize that, you know, I was doing something that I was on the right path and that this was my purpose. You know, I finally found my purpose all my life. I've been looking for my purpose and, and I've been finding different ways to help people, but this is the first time in my life that I'm, that I'm like, okay, you know, sometimes you go through things in life and people say, oh, you know, everything happens for a reason. And you're like, yeah, whatever. But it's not until like, you know, I went through what I went through and then this project came into being from what I went through that I was like, you know what, everything does happen for a reason. And now it all does make sense. You know, <laughs> it's, 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 it's truly a blessing and, and it's a lot of work, but you know, it, it really just, I can't even describe what, what feelings come out of my heart. It's just pure joy and, and, pure happiness. And, you know, I've connected with so many amazing people because of the project and, you know, um, yeah, it's just been quite a journey. It's a life is such a crazy roller coaster ride. (laughs) That, I mean, understatement of the year right there. Um, (laughs) you, you mentioned you're on Joshua tree national park, um, association. Um, I, I personally have like a love hate relationship with Joshua tree. I love it, (laughs) but I find it nearly impossible to photograph. I don't know why I see it that way. Um, but that's just been my experience in, in terms of, of your discussions with them and, and what you've seen from other national parks or even historic sites, historic areas, uh, national monuments, what are the improvements that need to be made that, a a person self-admittedly doesn't really think about when, when they go out into a national park and um, 
I, I just, I haven't even looked at that as through the eyes of somebody who's disabled and, and admittedly, um, I'm a little embarrassed to say that, honestly. No, you shouldn't be embarrassed because, you know, I have a lot of friends who, um, who have cerebral palsy, who have different disabilities. I worked at a camp when I was a teenager and it still exists. It calls, it's called Camp Limar. Um, and in the summer camp, I would go every summer for six summers. Um, and I worked as a steward in the kitchen and I trained, um, some of the kids how to, you know, work in the dining rooms and in the kitchens. And so they can go out into the real world and, you know, find a job. And so I worked with, um, some of the kids had down syndrome, some of the kids had autism. So I feel like for me, you know, I had a, a appreciation of, um, learning to appreciate things at a very young age, um, through their eyes. And, but it honestly wasn't until I ended up being permanently disabled that I really became aware of everything, you know, um, from, for example, doors, doors, when you're in a wheelchair or when you're using a rolling walker or when you're using walking sticks or whether you're using a cane, doors were one of my biggest obstacles because people don't realize how heavy doors are. People don't realize that doors pull towards you. People don't realize that doors don't stay open. (laughs) So um, for me, like one of the things that I talked about to a lot of the parks is having those push buttons. You know, you push the button, the door opens. And then when you get inside, you push the button and the door closes. That would be like, for me, one of the first, you know, things that should be put in restrooms, they should have those door button push things. And I noticed that, you know, when I was traveling across country, that a lot more rest stops actually have been um, incorporating those push buttons in all the restrooms. So I think um, that's one of the things that, you know, people need to work on more in the, in the national parks, um, making the restrooms accessible, like, you know, weather causes a lot of the dirt, especially in Joshua tree to dissipate. And so there's like a step that happens. And so I talked to them about maybe putting ramps, you know, from the ground, from the restrooms to the ground, because when the sand starts, you know, getting washed away by the rain, we had a heavy storm the other day and it washed the dirt. Like it was like a river. It was crazy. And so, you know, putting ramps and having picnic areas being accessible. A lot of the picnic areas in Joshua tree are not accessible. And I, when I say accessible, I mean like ADA compliant. ADA has been the law for 31 years. And so when people say, oh, it's wheelchair accessible, that's not necessarily ADA compliant with the law. And so, you know, the law states that things have to be accessible to everyone, you know, um, and so a lot of the picnic areas are not accessible. There's like, you know, uneven terrain or rocks or slopes, um, you know, that some of the um, restrooms are not, you know, wheelchair accessible or even accessible to, let's say, somebody who is blind. And if they didn't see that, you know, step that's there now, you know, because the rain washed away a level, um, you know, there's safety issues that happen due to things not being ADA compliant. And so, you know, um, Joshua Tree was one of the places that it's my favorite national park. 
And I've been um, coming to Joshua Tree um, before I even moved here. I recently moved here. But um, I've been visiting Joshua Tree since 1999. And, you know, the parks changed over the years slowly. But um, I didn't realize how, um, you know, inaccessible the park was until I tried to visit the park while I was in a wheelchair. And I was like, wow, there's really only um, one trail that's paved and that's by Keys View. And so when you go up to Keys View, that slope by the main Keys View is pretty steep. So if you parked your car, you can like just hang out in the parking lot. But that's been my biggest frustration, like with the, all of the national parks is, you know, I don't want to just set up my tripod in the parking lot, you know, to take photos, I'd like to have options. And also, it's not that safe either to be setting up in the parking lot, you know, with a lot of traffic and people coming in and out. And, you know, people have a tendency of stepping over me when I'm in a wheelchair, which is like, you know, been another frustrating thing. But just, you know, maybe creating uh, places that are um, exclusive you know, for disabled people. So in Joshua Tree, one of the things that I discovered while I was exploring for my How Accessible is Accessible series is Keys View has a lower uh, trail, which is kind of like their best kept secret. And there's, but there's only one parking lot, parking spot at this trail that's like just below Keys View. But I love this trail because it's short, it's paved, and then it has this overlook that's amazing of like the Salton Sea, Coachella, Palm Springs. And uh, when I went there to shoot my How Accessible is Accessible series, there was no one there but me. So it was pretty awesome. So I was like, yes, we need more of this in the national parks. Like, you know, having maybe trails that are, you know, areas along the trails that are exclusive for, you know, um, wheelchairs or, you know, um, or just make all the trails accessible to everybody. That would be like the ultimate, you know, trails where that everybody can use, whether you're in a wheelchair, using walking sticks, a rolling walker or a cane. Since this project, um, kind of began and, and took on a life of its own and using your phrase there, uh, do you see yourself now as a leader, as an advocate for people who are disabled in national parks? Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I see myself definitely as an advocate, as a, you know, as a person who is living with a disability, but also as an advocate and a voice for <clears throat> a lot of people who f don't feel like they have a voice. You know, um, sometimes people share videos with me or share stories with me or share articles with me. And maybe it's because, you know, I'm, I'm very outspoken and very outgoing. And, you know, maybe they, they look to me as a, a leader. Um, but I feel like if I have a voice, then, you know, I'm going to use it in a positive life. And I've always been that way as an artist. Um, I have three albums on iTunes. I, I was... Uh, at some point in my life, a singer, songwriter, guitarist, and, you know, my muse flows in different ways, but I've always felt like, you know, words are so powerful and so important. 
And so I try to use my voice, whether it's through photography or whether it's through writing. Um, <clears throat> Lonely Planet had approached me about, you know, being a writer for them and writing articles. And I believe they found me because of my blog, the same way kind of you found me. And, um, you know, when they've been having me writing articles, I always approach the articles um, with with including, you know, accessibility, finding a way to include accessibility when I write about, you know, locations, because to me, the best locations are the ones that are accessible, you know, and um, so I've just been trying to be, you know, use my voice and use my words and use what little influence or big influence I might have, any influence that I might have, whether it's through music, through art, through photography, um, to kind of bring awareness and, and kind of, you know, um, let people know that when they're going to talk about accessibility, it has to be accessible to everybody, you know, not just, oh, you know, um, the DEI, you know, conversation about diversity and exclusivity and inclusion has to include disabled people. You know, we're talking about the outdoors. It has to include disabled people because at some point in everybody's life, you're going to be disabled. And over a billion people all over the world are disabled. And so you can't just you know, the world can't just pretend that disabled people don't exist because we do, you know, and we're an important part of, of this world. And being disabled doesn't mean that we're not able to exist, that we're not able to create, that we're not able to do things or work or, you know, participate. It just means that, you know, we have a disability. What do people need to, to kind of do, to think differently, to see these national parks, places that, that we hit the trails on, on, on a regular basis through your eyes? I think the most important thing, again, is communicating with disabled people in, in the conversation when they, you know, before they make decisions, you know, talk to disabled people, find out, you know, actually walk with someone who's blind or walk with someone who's deaf or walk with someone who's in a wheelchair and, or walk with someone who has a service dog to really see, you know, what, what is lacking because I've had people walk with me along the trails and, and it's not until they're walking with me, they go, Oh my God, you know what? I didn't even realize that, you know, this slope is really steep or I didn't even realize that gravel is a problem for wheelchairs or I, you know what I mean? I didn't even realize that, you know, this drop here, you know, or the height of the, you know, sink to wash your hands is too high or the paper towels in the bathroom is too high or the water fountains is too high or, you know, it, it takes people communicating and actually walking with someone who is disabled to really understand and to really see like, you know, my boyfriend didn't understand, you know, about disability and what was lacking until he, you know, was right there with me, pushing me around and, and trying to help me get access to places. And, you know, we went to Death Valley to the Badwater Basin because I wanted to take photos. You should have seen him trying to push me out on the salt with the, with my wheelchair. <laughs> I felt so bad for him, but he knew that I wanted to experience it and try to get some, you know, photos from more than just a parking lot. So, 
you know, for me is it's, it's when I go to Joshua tree, now I'm able to walk a little bit, but when I was in a wheelchair, I had literally three options of where I was going to take photos. It was either in the parking lot at Cap Rock, um, and in, um, the Chola Cactus Garden, you know, even though people try to push wheelchairs through there, that's another place that I love. And I love that location for sunrises, sunsets, Milky Way. But, you know, the trail itself is partially like, you know, sand and dirt. And you don't want to get stabbed by those Chola Cactus because they're really sharp, you know. So half the time that I shot there while I was in the wheelchair, I was setting up in the parking lot, you know, and, uh, so yeah, <laughs> it's that's difficult. just, for, that's just for starters. There's so <laughs> much, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's, you know, just a few bullet points on the long list uh, of things to improve on. Um, I, I want to go back to, to something you said at the beginning and kind of bring it back to photography and, and your style of photography in general. And, and I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit weird here. Okay. <laughs> Can you go through the steps of mindfulness, like put yourself in the outdoors, you're getting ready for a shot just to help us understand what you're going through. And, and as a preface, I, I do want to say I, after going through therapy and, and counseling myself, I, I too discovered mindfulness and using that more, um, I think the word I want to use here is eloquently in, or intentionally in photography. Uh, and, and it does help me see so much more than I originally did, but before I started using that tactic. Absolutely. Well, first, you know, when you arrive to your location, you know, the, just, take a breath and stop where you are and feel yourself, you know, grounded, you feel your feet grounded where you're standing and just pause for a moment and take in your environment, like take a look around where you're standing and then close your eyes and take a deep breath in and then ex- in through your nose and then exhale through your mouth. And just try to like feel yourself relax and do that a few times and then open your eyes. And when you open your eyes, you're going to maybe see something different. Maybe something's going to catch your eye. So whatever it is that catches your eye, focus on that and just take a photo and then do the same thing. You know, close your eyes, take a few breaths and then open your eyes and maybe something else will catch your eye and then take a picture of that and you know, do that a few times and then move to a different spot. And every time you move to a different spot, just stand there and take a few breaths and take in your environment and really just take it in and, and, you know, feel yourself grounded and feel yourself enjoying your environment and try to smell, you know, the smells and try to feel the breeze or try to, you know, feel the sun on your face, whatever it is that's all around you, just take a moment to hear things and feel things and to smell things before you even take your photo. And I feel like, you know, that's going to elevate your photography and yourself. Like you're going to feel very different when you approach photography in that way. And I try to do that now, you know, um, for some time, whenever I get somewhere and, 
you know, going from, you know, working in an environment for companies where it was go, 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 you got to catch this many photos in this short period of time to really just, you know, slowing down completely and taking in your environment. And it just brings another level of joy to, you know, photography for me. And I think that if you really just take a few breaths and, and um, I have this like portable stool that, you know, opens up that I sit down sometimes and just taking the environment with the same approach, just closing my eyes and seeing what I hear and, you know, what I feel and then opening my eyes and taking breaths and just looking around me and something might catch my eye and I might take a photo or maybe I don't feel any inspiration there. So I find that a lot of people, um, are afraid to move. Like they get locked into one spot and feel like they have to stay at that spot. And so for me, if I'm not feeling the energy at one, one location, I'll say, you know what, let's go and, and check out this other location or I'll take a few steps and I might see, you know, things differently or I might turn around and go, Hey, there's all this behind me. Um, so, you know, it's just taking your time and, and trusting your instincts and, and, uh, not being afraid to move or to feel or to hear. Um, yeah, the other day I went out in the backyard and it was so funny because I was just going out there just to explore a little bit. You know, I just moved to the area and I looked up and I was like, oh my God, you know, and thankfully I didn't have my, you know, my, I wasn't on Instagram or, you know, social media. I did have my camera in my hand because I wanted to just scout and take some photos at my camera. And I looked up and there was all these like flocks of uh, turkey vultures. And they were like all going around in these like weird formations and circles. And there was like hundreds of them. I've never seen anything like that. And uh, I took some video of it and I was like, that's pretty cool because, you know, the only time that I have a tendency to look up to the sky is at night when I'm doing night photography and something made me look up during the day. And had I not looked up, I wouldn't have seen that. So, um, not, you know, my, my advice would be to, you know, take your time and look in different directions and pace yourself and go slow and to take deep breaths and to really enjoy where you are, like your environment and the landscape and the nature and, just really enjoy where you are. Where can people go to find more out about you, find more out about your project, and also uh, if they feel like donating, going ahead and, and doing that for you? If you want to learn more about me, my name's Denise Vasquez. You can go to www.denisevasquezphotography.com. My blog is on my website. In the blog, there's a donate button. If you go to read any of the blogs, you'll see a donate button inside each blog. Um, and uh, yeah, everything's on my website. My portfolio's on my website. You can see all the different types of landscape photography, night photography, silhouette photography, portrait photography, and my blog. And uh, about me, you can learn all about me on my uh, website. There, my story is very long. I left home when I was 17 and I've been traveling the world since living in different places and traveling and, you know, um, doing photography and art. And I'm, I'm an author. I'm, a, I'm just basically an artist who creates because it's a part of who I am. It's a part of my being. And if I can use my art to 
inspire people, empower people, bring awareness, then, you know, I feel like my purpose is complete. (laughs) Well, she's Denise Vasquez. Denise, thank you so much for joining us and, and being so open with us about your project and also your photography. Thank you so much, David, for having me. I really appreciate you having me on your amazing podcast. I'm honored and um, thank you so much. So the podcast just ended, but before you hit stop right now, I just want to direct you over to Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash David Johnston, you can get bonus audio from today's podcast. We just talked to Denise about her passion in photography, mindfulness, the Disabled Photographer Project. But in the bonus audio, we go deeper with Denise about what inspires her as a photographer. And we talk really deeply about how you can be seen comfortably as a photographer. And we even relate different creative outlets like comedy and photography and how those two can relate to one another and how essentially we kind of see the world in the same way. It was interesting to hear Denise's thoughts about this after I had this kind of revelation about how all creatives use this as an expression. But Denise, unknown to me, used to be a stand-up comedian. So it was amazing to hear her thoughts about this kind of thesis and hypothesis that I had about creatives and photography and how multiple creative outlets, even something like comedy, can be linked back to us as photographers and how we see the world and how we want to be seen by others. So it was a really interesting discussion that Denison had in, in Patreon and, and fascinating that it continues on for the Patreon listeners. Again, that's patreon.com slash David Johnston. And we have tiers of five, 10 and $20 a month that not only get you bonus audio and other benefits included in each one of the tiers, but it also helps the podcast continue to go week after week and continue to bring you the best photographers on the planet. So again, that's patreon.com slash David Johnston. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank Denise for coming on. And I can't wait to see you guys in the next episode.